Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be saved. Amen. Amen. Someone, let's give God praise this morning. Man. Awesome. Man, thank God for that time of worship. Hey, listen, if you're brand new this morning, uh, my name's Mark. I'm the lead pastor. We're excited to have you here uh, bright and early at the 930 this morning. It's good to see your beautiful faces today. Uh, look at somebody next to you and say, you look good this morning. All right, look at them. Look at them. You look good this morning. Now, if there's somebody on the other side that for some reason you didn't pick, pick the other person. You too. All right, you too. It wasn't uh, nothing personal this morning. All right. Hey, listen, if you're here for the very first time, uh, we got a free gift for you. We'd love to just uh, uh, bless you this morning. We do have a free gift for all of our first-time guests. All you got to do is fill out the connection card. We give everybody a moment or two to do that at the end of the uh, services. We're about to receive our offering. Fill that out as much as you can. Drop it in the offering basket or take it out there to the welcome area this morning. If you've been coming for a little bit, I've never met you. Uh, hey, I would love to shake your hand and, and just thank you for coming uh, this morning, all right? Now, uh, what we're doing this morning, it uh, goes along with last week. It was a little something different, and um, what we are doing this morning, uh, along with last week, and if you didn't listen to last week, if, if you missed last week, um, please go back and listen to it, all right? Please go back and listen or watch it, because what we did last week and what we're doing this morning, we're not in a series. We're just in something that we believe that God is speaking into our church right now. We believe that God is calling our church to pray for uh, revival, spiritual awakening in our region, in this church, and in every single church. Uh, a revival that just changes the trajectory of our region uh, is what we're praying for here. And, and I don't know if you were here on uh, Wednesday night. We have a midweek Bible study, a, a small little group uh, that comes, and we're talking about revival. We've been talking about it for the past month or so, almost two months, I guess, on Wednesday night. It's just a group of us praying for revival and so uh, just really felt like God was wanting to bring it uh, public, and let's just lead the whole church, <clears throat> excuse me, in this. Um, but if you were there Wednesday night, we uh, asked a question, uh, when revival comes to your mind, when you hear that word revival, what comes to your mind? And I just shared with the group that my background, when I hear the word revival, what I instantly think of is fried chicken. Uh, that's what I instantly think of. I think of a lot of fried chicken. There's going to be a potluck. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a, an amazing time of of chicken and just a lot of unhealthy uh, things that will probably take us to heaven sooner. And so uh, that's what I think when I hear revival. And when I use the word revival, maybe you're kind of over it. Maybe you think, oh, he means like a four or five night church thing. That's not what I mean. I don't mean a four or five night church thing. I don't mean anything that I plan. I don't mean anything that humankind can produce. I'm telling you that when I look at the landscape of, the, of eastern Kentucky and the world right now, if we don't see a genuine move of God, we will lose a generation. If we don't see a genuine, powerful move of God, I'm talking revival. I'm talking something we seek God for, but we don't plan for it. The Spirit of God falls in power. If we don't see a genuine move of God, we will never break the chain of addiction that just plagues our region. Uh, if we don't see a genuine move of God, churches, uh, churches will, will have fine services. We'll have fine services, and people will come to our churches, but we might miss power. And we were backstage this morning, the band was, and we were, pay, we were praying this morning for power and presence. And that's what we're seeking God for as we're thinking of revival. When I use the word revival, I think of something that happened in 1949. 
In 1949, there was a small island in Scotland, it's the island, in a series of islands called the Islands of the Hebrides. And if you get on Google this afternoon, you look up the, the, uh, the Hebrides Revival, you can read all, all about it. There's a small island in the island of Hebrides in Scotland, the island's name is Burvis. All right, uh, really small island, you've never heard of it. But there are two ladies, there were two ladies uh, that were alive in 1949. They were so concerned, listen to this, 1949. They were so concerned about how the next generation seemed to have no interest for God and how the entire village, it was really a village, the entire village of Burvis there in this island really seemed to be indifferent to the things of God. And so two ladies, Pam and Christine Smith, they felt gripped by the heart of God to begin to pray Isaiah 44.3 for their islands. And it was Isaiah 44.3 says, I will pour water out on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And so, so Pam and Christine, they started to pray three nights a week. Listen to this. Three nights a week from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., three nights a week for revival to come to their land. Now, you might think, oh, wow, these ladies were probably really young. They had a big life ahead of them, staying up three nights a week, 10 to 3 a.m. I mean, these ladies were probably really active in their community. Here's a photo of them right there. They were 82 and 84 years old. Pam was completely blind. Christine had arthritis so severe she could never leave her home. These two ladies walked with God. The island of Burvis was so small that every person knew it. These two ladies walked with God. And they, con they, they, they had somebody call for their pastor of the church that they were a part of. They just couldn't go physically anymore. They called their pastor to their house one night and they, they told him, they said, God is going to send revival to Burvis. You need to begin to get the leaders of the church together and pray for revival. And so that's what, and so, so these ladies had such influence. They just, people knew that they walked with God. And so when they said this, they actually even put it in the newspaper that Pam and Christine Smith have called the island to, to pray for revival. And uh, these ladies are like just prophets there in this town. And that's exactly what happened. The church began to get together Friday night, 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. to pray and seek God for revival. They did this for weeks and nothing happened. Until one night at 3 a.m. in the church, there was a deacon in the church, and the deacon stood up and he said, you know what, I, I feel like there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of show and we're going through a lot of dramatic effect here, praying that God would change Burvis when we need to ask, are we being changed by God? We're asking God to deal with the sin in our village. We need to ask, is God dealing with the sin in our own lives. They were praying through Psalm 24 at 3 a.m. on this particular Friday. Psalm 24 says, Who will ascend on, into the hill in the presence of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And this deacon stood up and asked these two questions. God, are my hands clean? And is my heart pure? And in that moment, the people in the church fell on their face and they started to confess their own particular sin to God. And in that moment on that Friday at 3 a.m., the presence of God fell in that church in a powerful way. And they just began to confess and to get honest about their own sin. And they knew something had happened when shortly after 3 o'clock in the morning, they left that church. And as they walked to their homes, imagine this, this is Burvis, it was a small village of people, okay? As they walked to their homes a little after 3 o'clock in the morning, every house that they passed had some kind of light candle 
on. It was clear everyone was awake. And not only that, they began to notice word had not gotten out. Think about this. Word hadn't gotten out what happened in the church, but they began to notice that just along the sides of the road, a little after 3 a.m., people were on their knees in the streets crying out to God. Revival had come. And these two ladies, Pam and Christine, you can put that picture back up there in a moment. They called the guy right there in the middle. His name's Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell was a preacher actually in another island. And they told their pastor, they said, Duncan Campbell is going to be the man to preach this revival. You need to tell him the revival starts in two weeks. And so the pastor goes to Duncan Campbell and says, you're going to be, you need to come to Burvis and preach this revival. And Duncan Campbell says, well, I can't come. I've got plans in those, I've got plans two weeks. I'm sorry, I can't come. The pastor goes back and tells Pam and Christine Smith, well, Duncan uh, Campbell can't come. He's got plans. Pam and uh, Christine look at their pastor and say, don't worry. He hasn't heard from the Lord yet. He'll be here in 14 days. 14 days later, Duncan Campbell was in Burvis. His plans were canceled. He was in this church preaching revival. When he walked into this church on a Friday night, 300 people were waiting for him. Duncan, Cam- Duncan Campbell preaches and nothing happens. Everyone leaves. It's just him and it's just Duncan Campbell and there's another guy in the church. We don't really know who he is. Everyone's left. It's just these two men in the church and this, this man stands up and he says, Mr. Campbell, I feel as if God is hovering over the building right now, and at any moment, God can break through. And history records, look this up, history records that just down the street, at that exact moment when that young man said that, just down the street on, in Burvis, just down the street at a city hall, community center type building, there was a dance with about 100 teenagers, and spontaneously, suddenly, no one said anything, there was no preacher or anything, but every single person in the dance became convicted of their sin, they, the music stopped, they left the building, ran to the church. Also, people in the village felt compelled to come to the church for reasons they did not know. And until 4 a.m., people were giving their lives to Jesus. And that went on from 1949 to 1952. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about revival. But do not miss this. It broke when the church started to confess their sin to God. Last week we talked about hunger for God. Hunger for God is great. You've got to have hunger for the things of God. But like we said last week, and this is where we are today, the other side of that coin of hunger for God, we're talking about getting ready for revival, spiritual awakening, hunger for God. The other side of that coin is brokenness and honesty about our own sin. That revival comes... When the church gets broken and honest about our own sin. Now think about that, because that is the complete opposite of the way that we think God will move in the world today. When I hear a lot of churches talk, when I hear a lot of Christians talk about how we need God to do something in America. We need God to do something in the world. What I, what I hear from a lot of people is the world is so bad, the world is so godless, the culture is walking away from God, it's so secular that they need to repent. The world needs God, the world needs to change. But when you look at scripture, revival and spiritual awakening doesn't happen when the culture turns from their sin. Revival and spiritual awakening happens when the church turns from its sin. See, we think that the thing that's holding back a powerful move of God is how godless the world is. When you look at Scripture, what's holding back a powerful move of God is that the church has grown content to live without the power of God. 
Somebody once said, Leonard Ravenhill, a guy that you can, I, I love to read. Leonard Ravenhill once said, why doesn't the church have revival? He says it's because the church is used to living without it. We're used to fine services with fine music and, and fine preaching that still gets us out on time for, for lunch. We're, we're, used to, we're, we're, we're used to little power. Every once in a while we see people uh, giving their lives to Jesus. The, the church has sold itself out, it seems, and we think that the real solution for culture's problems is going to come from Washington. It's going to come from Frankfurt. It's going to come from some politicians. And listen, politicians and government has their place, but there is nothing that we need more than the power and the presence of God. And so, so what's holding back really a powerful move of God isn't probably how secular the world is, it's probably how secular the church has become. That we're just used to living without power. We're just content to seeing, uh, seeing services where God doesn't move or we get little hints or uh, things like that. Let me show this to you from Scripture here. Here's a verse that I think everybody will know as we're thinking about revival. I think it'll be on your screen here. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, watch this, watch the way this verse flows. Watch the flow. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... Then, watch that, then, <clears throat> then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll hear the, heal, heal their land. Do you see the hinge? Do you see the turning point? The turning point is God won't heal the land when the land confesses their sin. God says, I'll heal the land, I'll pour out a powerful move of the Spirit when my people who are called by my name humble themselves. When my people seek my face, when my people turn from their wicked ways. This is why the Bible says judgment begins where? In the house of God. That's where it begins. Not out there. Not out there. Look at me. Lost people are going to act like lost people. Amen? Listen, if our goal is that we hope the, the culture just becomes more moral and, and, and behaves better without Jesus, listen, we got the wrong goal. We want to see every single knee bow to Jesus. We want to see every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. But look at me, it starts in the church. So when we talk about brokenness over our own sin, what do we mean? Let's look at it. Psalm 51. If you got a Bible, open it up, turn it on. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, just to kind of put it in its place. Psalm 51 is David coming back to God after having an affair with Bathsheba, after having her husband killed. David's hid this sin in his heart for a while. He's under conviction of sin. This is David coming back to God. Psalm 51, David is broken over his own sin. He's broken over the effect of his own sin. This is David coming back to God. And so I'm going to read the whole psalm. We're going to focus on three verses in this, uh, but I'm going to read the whole thing, uh, 19 verses. Psalm, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Psalm 51. Let's read it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, 
You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. We're going to focus on 10 through uh, 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What a, what a beautiful verse. I love that verse. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls in Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When we talk about brokenness for sin, what are we talking about? What do we mean? Here's the first thing we mean. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. You can follow along on the app. Here's what we mean when we're talking about brokenness. First thing, brokenness begins by agreeing with God about the condition of our hearts. Brokenness begins by agreeing with God about the condition of my own heart. I mean, look how personal Psalm 51 is. You don't have to flip through all the verses on the screen here because I'm just going to shoot through these. But look at all these. Verse 1, have mercy on me. Verse 2, wash me. Verse 3, I know my transgressions. I know my sin. Look at verse 10. Here it is. Here's our verses. Create in, look at it. Create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit where? In me. In me. God, create a right spirit. Renew a right spirit in me. Notice how personal this is. David's not talking about anybody else's sin but his own. And isn't it easy to talk about the sins of other people? Isn't it? Man, it's easy to talk about the sins of other people. It's easy to focus on the sin of other people. In fact, you might be here listening to this and you're thinking, listen, I'm glad so-and-so's here. I hope so-and-so comes to the 1115 because this sounds like they could use a sermon like this. And listen, if that's what you're thinking, I just need to tell you today, you need to trust God with that person because right now, you're here. Hello? Right now, you're here. So let's not think about anybody else except for my heart, your heart, our heart, this is personal. We are really good about seeing the sins and the problems in the lives of other people. We say things like this, well, I'm not like them. And listen, maybe you're not. But can you see the sin in your own life? Can you see the specific sin in your own heart? We need to get better at diagnosing the sins and problems in our lives than we are at diagnosing the sin and problems in other people. Hello? And that doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. That doesn't mean we don't confront people over their sin. That, don't mean, that doesn't mean we don't confess and repent and all of those things. But we need to remember Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't get so focused on the speck in the eye of other people that you miss the log where? In your own eye. David, this is David coming back to God. David says, God, I don't have a clean heart. David, I, God says, David says, God, I don't have clean hands. What's happening here in Psalm 51, this is David and God getting on the same page. 
This is David and God getting on the exact same page about, the, about David's sin. This is David coming back to God. And listen, this is different. So this is, I, I need our church to hear this, all right? I need our church to hear this. This could be the most important thing we say all morning. This is different than saying, well, I'm not perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, nobody's perfect. Oh, well, I'm not perfect. We used to have a billboard, and I, hear, I still hear people talk about this billboard. Hey, you're the church with the no perfect people allowed, right? Remember that billboard? We used to have that billboard, and that's fine. I like that. I mean, you know, I, we said put that up. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not perfect. That's popular in the culture. Nobody disagrees with that in the world today. Oh, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody says that. You don't have to be a Christian at all to say that. Atheists think that's true. People that don't think there's any kind of God, Buddhists think that's true. You know, people that worship Elvis think that's true. Everybody thinks that's true, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. What's the sermon about today? Mark's talking about how nobody's perfect. That's not the sermon today. This is deeper than that. What do you mean this is deeper than that? Here's what I mean. Verse 4. Can we look at verse 4? Look at verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned. Stop. Think about that for a minute. David had had an affair on Bathsheba, with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered. What David does affects the nation of Israel, it affects his kids, it affects his family for generations to come. Listen, on the surface, it looks like David has sinned against a whole lot more people than God. And listen, people were hurt by what David did. David, verse 4, God, against you only have I sinned. What's he mean? Listen, to be broken the way that we're talking about, the only way that we can be broken like this is if we see the holiness and the beauty of God. The only way that we can be broken the way that we're talking about is if we see the, holy, if we, if we see the holiness and the beauty of God. Every single time somebody got in the presence of God in Scripture, they saw who God was, they saw who they are, and the Bible says one thing usually happens. They fall to their face as though dead because they know they're a goner. This is why Jesus is our mediator. This is why Jesus is our intercessor. Listen to me. If God, if the God of the universe right now came to 147 century circle right here, no holding back. I mean, God's presence fully without restraint came into this, pre into this room right now. There isn't a one of us that would say, what's up, buddy? Daggone it, it's great to see you at church. Can I just tell you, based on Scripture, I can, I'm convinced that if the full presence of God fell in this place right now, we would all be annihilated. This is why when Moses comes in the presence of God at Mount Sinai and Israel sees the presence of God, they say this to Moses. Moses, you talk to us, not him, because he is terrifying. We have never seen anybody like him. Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the temple worshiping and praying. He sees God. He sees God on his throne. Isaiah's first response is this, woe is me. I mean, Isaiah's a prophet. His sermon every single day is woe to Israel and woe to all these places. God's judgment on you. Isaiah lays eyes on God. Sermon changes. Woe is me. Judgment on me. I'm a goner. I need somebody to pay for my sin. God is in a class all by himself. We have never seen 
anything, anyone like God. This is why Jesus is our mediator, our intercessor, our go-between, so that when we, we can go to God, we can talk to God, we can be accepted by God. But listen, a perfect God can't stand in the presence of sin. That's why when people say, man, God should just give me what I deserve, that's called hell. That's what that's called. That's called judgment. That's what that's called. That caused Jesus to cry out. And, and listen, don't hear this sermon and think, oh, well, you know what? This is David, man. I'm on the other side of the cross. We got grace now. I got grace now. I, I, I'm on the other side of the cross. I'm on the other side of the resurrection. Sin's not as big of a deal for us now as it was then. Summit, look at me. Look at me. If it killed Jesus, it's a big deal. Hello? If it killed Jesus, it's a big deal. And my attitudes took him to the cross. My sin took him to the cross. Lust in my heart, pride in my heart took him to the cross. Listen, if sin is such a big deal that it killed the spotless son of God, Summit, listen to me. It's a massive deal. Grace doesn't make sin less of a big deal. In fact, listen, if we've tasted of the grace of God, sin ought to be even more disgusting and terrifying to us because we've got a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Sin doesn't make sin less, uh, a, a grace rather doesn't make sin less of what it is. It actually turns the volume up and we see how horrible it is because sin killed Jesus. So when I'm talking about brokenness, we're talking about agreeing with God about the condition of our own hearts. Look at me. This is inside of me. This is inside of me. And I see it every single time I preach, and the only, time I, only thing I think about is what you think of me. I see it every single time I lose my cool when, I can't, when something happens and I can't control it. I, I see it in me every single time I get jealous of another church or I compare myself to other people. This is in me. But do you see that it's in you? Listen, if your cues and what you think about sin just come from your family and your friends and pop culture and the world, then this entire sermon is going to be a waste of your time. Because in 2019, we have evolved from sin. We don't talk about sin anymore. Sin is no big deal in 2019. We don't need to think about it. That's what the world says. Hey, culture, what's the culture think about sin? There isn't any. You do you. You be you. You do what feels good. And listen, if all your cues about sin come from, the, come from horizontally, looking at the world, what your friends think, how they act, what's the culture say, then that's exactly how we're going to think about sin too. And people in, the church will, will, people in the church will talk about their struggles, and I see this all the time, and will say things like this, oh, it's no big deal, we're all human. And yes, we're all human, but so many times I see that discussion stop people from stepping into a moment where God can bring real change and real repentance. Listen, we don't need to just look horizontally about what are my friends and what's the world say about sin. We need to look vertically and outside of all of us, there is a perfect and holy God that says sin always leads to death, spiritual death, physical death, emotional death, mental death. Sin leads to death and summit, it is in me. Do you see it in you? Because brokenness starts when we agree with God about the condition of our hearts, but it doesn't stay there. Brokenness leads to an awareness of our deepest need. Brokenness ne leads to an awareness of our deepest need. All right? 
Look here, Psalm 51, verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence. God, don't take the Holy Spirit away from me. In David's mind, the worst thing that could happen is God's presence would be removed from him. In David's mind, the worst thing that could happen is God would take away just just the felt presence of the Spirit of God. That's the worst thing that David can think of. David is always talking this way, that the worst thing that could happen from him is that sin would put a barrier between him and God. And listen, that's what sin does. Sin puts a barrier between God and me. Sin puts a barrier. Unconfessed sin in my life, undealt with sin in my life, puts a barrier, puts a wall between me and God. Think about it like this. If you're you're married, even if you're not married, you'll get this, right? Even if you're not, it doesn't matter if you're married. You know, just forget that one. Any relationship at all, any relationship at all, closest relationships you have, right, Somebody with the other person. So maybe you are married, your best friend, I don't know what it is. But the other person, something is wrong with them, and they haven't told you what it is, but you can tell something's wrong. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can tell something's in the air. Maybe they're really quiet. Maybe they're not talking a, 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 a lot, or maybe they're just giving you the silent treatment, cold shoulder. And you know something's wrong. You don't know if it's about you. You don't know if it's about somebody else. You just know that there is something in between the relationship. You're right? you, have you been here? You've been here? This means yes. This means no. This means I'm tired. And so in that moment when you know something's in between, your, in between you and that person, you want whatever it is to be removed. You want the relationship back to where it is. So maybe you start asking what's wrong. Hey, what's wrong? And they don't tell you because nobody ever answers it on the first time, right? So on the 500th time you ask what's wrong, all of a sudden there's a breakthrough and they just start sharing a little bit. Here's all you know. Here's all you know. Whatever is in the way, you want it removed. That's what sin does in my relationship with God. Unconfessed, undealt with sin in my heart puts a barrier between me and God. Unconfessed sin in my life causes me to miss out on the felt presence and power of God in my life. And David is talking about how horrible this feels. Earlier earlier on, David in verse 8, he says that this sin in his life, I mean, he's walked around with what he did with Bathsheba for a while. He says it feels like his bones are being crushed. That's called conviction of sin. Now, what's that? That sounds like a good churchy thing, right? Conviction of sin. What is conviction of sin? Here's what conviction of sin is. Conviction of sin is if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and the Holy Spirit changes your taste, changes your appetite about sin and the way you used to think about it. So so maybe something that you used to do before you met Jesus didn't bother you at all, and now all of a sudden you've got a relationship with Jesus, and it bothers you. You feel convicted about it. Maybe some attitude you used to have, the way you treat people, the way somebody treated you. The, the, The Holy Spirit changes our appetite and our attitude towards sin, and when there's unconfessed sin in our lives, the Holy Spirit is inviting us to bring that into the light of the presence of God and deal with that so that that barrier between us and God that sin put can be removed. Listen to me. Conviction is different than just feeling bad about it. Because I can feel bad about something and it might not have anything, it might not drive me to God. Conviction is different than feeling bad because you got caught. Hello. Right? Right? 
That's not what I mean. Conviction of the Holy Spirit says this hurts the heart of your heavenly Father. This does not glorify God. This hurts what God wants to do in your life. You will miss out on the presence of God unless and until you deal with this. That's conviction. And David is feeling that conviction. And listen, conviction is not God punishing us. It's, invi- it's God inviting us to turn from sin and experience forgiveness all over again. We're not, getting, we're not being forgiven again. You get forgiven once, you get saved once, but it's, it's the forgiveness of God just washing over our lives again. But unconfessed sin in my life interrupts, gets in the way, puts a barrier between my experience of the presence and power of God in my life. Now, you might be here and you say this. Well, listen, listen, I don't really care about conviction. I just want to go to heaven when I die. And if that's your heart, let's talk afterwards because you might not be saved. Right? A true child of God is not going to have that attitude. Why? Because if it killed Jesus, it is a big deal. What killed Jesus? Not the Romans, not the Jews, not Herod. The sin in our lives killed the Son of God. Right? And so so brokenness means, God, this is in me. Brokenness says, God, my deepest need is more of your presence. God, I need you to be back first place in my life. God, I want this to be dealt with. That conviction drives us to God. And then finally, here's the last one. Brokenness always leads to restoration. Brokenness always leads to to restoration. Look at 12 and 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll go out and I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I love verse 7. Listen, David says verse 7 before Jesus. How much more can we say verse 7 on the other side of the cross and resurrection? Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. God, wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. If David can say that, we can say it even more. Amen? Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. David is broken. God, I got sin in my heart. That conviction drives him to God. God, I need your presence back in my life. And listen to me. Every single time you go to God broken, listen to this. Every time you go to God broken, you leave restored. Hello? Every time you go to God broken, you leave restored restored. Why? Because 2,000 years ago on the cross, the last thing that Jesus screamed out was, it is finished. The price has been paid. The, The payment accepted by God. Three days later, Jesus is alive. And so every single time you come to God, you will be clean. Every single time you go to God broken, you're going to be restored every single time. And the way we go to God to be restored is called repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. Now listen, those can be some bad church words, all right? Maybe your church experience, you've got some baggage with that. You feel condemned every time somebody would talk about repentance. And so I've said this before. I want to say it again until it just becomes natural in our church. You don't even need me to say it because you know how this goes. Here's what repentance is. Repentance is coming home to God. That's it. Repentance is coming home to God. Repentance is not you've been punished and now you need time out. Repentance is coming home. 
to your heavenly father. Every once in a while, somebody will ask me this question. Mark, if God has forgiven us for all of our sin, then why do I need to confess my sin to him right now? That's a good question. Mark, if God's forgiven me for all my sin, why do I need to confess my sin to him like when I sin? Why do I need to confess my sin to God right now? That's a great question. Here's why. Because when Jesus comes to us, Jesus' word to all of us, here it is, is follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, now you know the answer to this, right? You know the answer to this. What do people do on the cross? They die. They die on the cross. And so as we're following Jesus, listen, as you and I, as we're following Jesus, what's going to happen, the longer we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to turn over. You know, sometimes you turn over a rock and there's all kinds of things there you didn't even know were there. The Holy Spirit, as you follow Jesus, he's going to turn over things in your life. He's going to show you attitudes and, and, and responses and triggers. He's, he's, he's going to show you habits and patterns. He's going to show you things in your life maybe you didn't even know were there or maybe you did, you just didn't want to deal with it. But as you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you things in your life. And every single time the Holy Spirit reveals something new that's in my heart, that is an invitation from God to confess it so that I can get a clean heart and experience the joy of my salvation. Every single time the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, it's me and God getting on the exact same page. Every time over and over. And so brokenness always leads to restoration. Every single time. So let's close and let's think about it like this. Let's, let's, let's try to get practical and let's do the stuff that we've been talking about. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. So physically, get ready, mentally, emotionally, whatever you need to do. I'm going to ask you to move right now in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, but before we do, think about it um, like this in every single uh, class that I took in Bible college seminary and after that every single book that I've read about preaching every single class and book about preaching says that it's really important that when you start your sermon you need to have a captivating story say something funny do something that connects so that the audience can listen in it's really important that your introduction speaks to the audience so make it really applicable uh, really you know it's really easy to swallow easy to understand. As I read Jesus, it's clear that Jesus has never read a single book about preaching. It's clear that Jesus has never taken a single class about how to preach a sermon. Because the longest sermon we have from Jesus in the Bible, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, starts this way. Look at these verses. I think they're going to be on the screen here. Let's bring those up. There they are, Matthew 5 through 3. This is how the sermon starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Jesus is not talking about poor poverty. He has, he's not talking about economy or anything like that at all. He, when he talk about, talks about mourning, he's not talking about maybe walking through some kind of sad thing in our lives. Jesus, in both of those verses, the sermon starts with, you are blessed if you realize that you are so sinful that the only one who can help you is God. 
You are blessed if you're here this morning at Summit and all of a sudden you see sins, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of things. You are blessed this morning if you see that there's sin in your own heart and you need to go to God for forgiveness. And, and there's a part of you, that, a part of you, it causes you to mourn over your sin. If you mourn over your sin, the promise of Jesus is you will be comforted. Can I tell you this morning, if you are being convicted over any sin in your life right now, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because there's opportunity to be comforted. There's opportunity to be healed. You're blessed this morning if the Spirit of God's convicting you about something you said about somebody. You're blessed this morning if the Spirit of God's convicting you about things that you've been looking at on the computer and now you're addicted. You're blessed this morning if the Spirit of God's convicting you about a relationship that's really close to becoming an inappropriate relationship. Man, you are so blessed this morning if the Spirit of God is convicting you about the way that you talk, the way you think, the way you act, the way you treat people. You are so blessed of God this morning if the Spirit of God is speaking to you about that person that you've been bitter at for decades. You are so blessed this morning if the Spirit of God is dealing with you about an addiction issue in your life. You couldn't be more blessed than you've ever been in your life if right now the Spirit of God is saying to you, you need Jesus. You can be more blessed than that. Why? Because if you are that blessed, Summit, there is just an opportunity for you to be comforted. There is an opportunity for you to be washed clean. There is an opportunity for the joy of your salvation to be restored to you. But here is the catch. The catch is that you have to come to God for that comfort. The catch is you have to come to God in mourning. The catch is you have to come to God in repentance. What's repentance sound like? God, I am sorry. That's it. That's it. Well, Mark, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how they treated me. Mark, I am bitter because they made me bitter. I, true, maybe true. Here's the thing. If you don't deal with that now, then you won't be somebody that struggles with bitterness. You will become a bitter person. But Mark, all my friends look at that stuff on the computer. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, then why can't you stop looking at it? Why do you feel a compulsion to even look at it now? Why is it that every time you say, I'm done, that's the last time, it only leads to another time and another time? You are addicted there. And, and you, need, you need God to begin to deal with you. And listen, if you don't let the Spirit of God, if you don't just begin to agree with God about the issue of that in your life, you won't be somebody who struggles with a porn addiction. You will be somebody who is owned by a porn addiction. If you don't deal with that issue in your life, that thing, that sin that the Spirit of God is convicting you about, it won't be something that you struggle with. It will become who you are. I love the story of Cain and Abel. And I just love one verse in that story. In that story, the story of Cain and Abel, you know the story. It's about two brothers, they love, they love each other. And there, there's a verse, there's a verse where God comes to, to Cain and he says, listen, sin is crouching at the door and it looks to master you. You know what that means? It's like sin's a ninja. It's just like sin's a ninja. You think I'm joking. And I went to seminary for this. And and sin is hiding 
looking at Cain, looking at Mark, looking at you, waiting for the exact moment to pounce, waiting for our weakest moment. Maybe it's a moment that says, you know what, this sermon about convictions for somebody else, but not me. Not me. No, I'm right to hold on to this. And it's in that moment that sin just all of a sudden jumps out from behind that door, grabs hold of us, and it stops being something that we struggle with, and it begins to be something that owns us. What can break the power of sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. But you got to come to him. And so right now, right now, I just want to invite our church as we move into a time of response, the response is easy. I love this quote. We'll, we'll close here. I love this quote. I believe it's on the screen. Personal renewal leads to corporate renewal. Do you need renewal today? Do you need revival today? Do you want to experience the joy of your salvation and for the Spirit of God to wash you clean from that sin? Right now, we're just going to move into a time of confession. And I'm going to pray. And this altar is open. And I would actually challenge you physically. You don't have to share it with anybody. This is a safe place. But I would challenge you to get up out of your seat, come up front, and come to God in confession and repentance. God, I confess this to you. I give to you this thing. God, this has a hold of me. So would you just pray with me, Father, right now in the power of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would just release a spirit of repentance in this place. A spirit of confession in this place. That Holy Spirit, you would fall on the people of God. God, you said that if your people will turn from their wicked ways and confess their sin, you will heal their land. Our land needs healing. Our community needs healing. But God, the hinge, the start is the people dealing with their sin. So God, right now, would you just help us to do that in this moment? So summit with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If the Holy Spirit's convicted you about anything, just sin being brought to your mind, I just want to challenge you right now. Get up out of your seat and come up front right now. Just come on. Just come up front right now. Nobody needs to know what it is. It's between you and God, but you come right now. Don't hold back. Listen, don't hold back. Oh, that's not for me. That's not for me. What if you just... Both hands up. Jesus, I surrender, and you came forward. Just come on right now. People are coming, you come. If you, you've got an issue you've been holding on to for years, you come. you got something in your heart that you know doesn't glorify God, I want to ask you to come. Everybody around you is telling you it's okay. Everybody around you is telling you it's no big deal. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, I don't think so. I want to invite you to, you come. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you about an attitude, you come. Convicting you about a thought pattern, you come. Pride, you come. Jealousy, you come. You just, you just come today. And, and let's give God a moment. I see people just making their chairs an altar. Do that. Do that. If you don't want to come up, you just want to kneel at your chair. If the Spirit of God is drawing you, oh, God, would you just say yes to it? Would you just not fight it or make an excuse? Oh, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you to come and we need you to move in ways that we've read about, heard about, but we need it. And Father, it starts with personal renewal. It starts with personal renewal. Just as people are up here praying with every head bowed, with every eye closed, 
Is there anybody in this room that would say, Mark, I need revival for me. I need personal renewal. I want a revival in my own soul. If that's you, would you just put your hand up so I can pray for you? Anybody in the room? There's a hand right there. There's more. Anybody else? I just want revival in my own soul. I need a renewal personally. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you'd say, Mark, the Spirit of God's convicted me about a certain sin. Would you pray for me? Would you, would you just pray about this issue that God's dealing with me about right now? Would you pray for me? If that's you, put your hand up right now. Anybody at all? Anybody? Amen. Amen. There's a hand right there. There's several right there in the back. Amen. You might be here today and you need Jesus in your life. You're not a Christian. What a better day. There's no better day to come to Jesus for the first time than today. And so if you're here today and you want to be saved, you can be. You can be saved today. You're loved by God today. That's why you're here. The mercy of God's available for you. And today, if you want to be saved, just go to God. Pray this prayer with me today. This prayer is not magic words. You're not praying to me or anybody else. You're talking to God. I'm just trying to help maybe help you express what God's doing in your life. Today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I need you, Jesus. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me and dying for me and coming back from the dead for me. Thank you for giving me life. I receive it today.